Section 6 of My Ox Team to California, A Narrative of Crossing the Plains in 1860, by Lavinia Honeyman Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 6, Chapter 10, The Overland Road, Joining Company with a Band of Emigrants, A Threatened Attack of Indians, A Night of Storm and Suspense, Deserting the Company of Emigrants, independence rock mormon emigrants meeting fellow travelers who passed on to destruction money giving out philip while we were camping near fort laramie the soldiers warned us of danger a detachment had been sent out from the fort on a reconnoitering expedition and reported an attack of indians on an emigrant company of eight men whom they had killed or taken prisoners burnt their wagons and taken their mules and horses. These soldiers also informed us of the approach of a train of emigrants of about sixty men with a large number of horses and wagons. The officer at the fort insisted on our remaining in its vicinity until the arrival of that company, as we were running recklessly into danger traveling alone. Deciding that it would perhaps be wiser to heed his counsel, we waited and in due time the large caravan made its appearance and we joined their company this proved to be the most unhappy part of our journey hitherto we had proceeded at our own sweet will accustomed to travelling alone we stopped when and where we pleased and started out in the same manner now all was changed it was the custom for every large company of emigrants to select from their number a captain. His word was law. Every one belonging to that company was supposed to do and act as he ordered. We were obliged to keep our place in the moving caravan, travel as long and as fast as he thought best, and camp when and where he chose. Previous to this time we had made shorter drives and stopped before dark with this company we frequently drove until after nightfall this was to me an unaccustomed hardship cooking in camp by daylight was no easy task and darkness made it still more difficult our campfires were often of sagebrush which emitted only evanescent flames our lanterns dimly lighted with one small candle made only a glimmer in the darkness of the wilderness my husband, too, had always been with me at night, but now had to take his turn as night watchman, and my little son and I would be left in our tent alone, while he was posted as sentinel on the outskirts of our encampment. Never before had I suffered with fear as I did while with that company. I could not rest or sleep while my husband was away from me, exposed to all the perils of the night and the treacherous foe. We might have been in the same danger before, but we were together. My fears were not only of Indians. These people with whom we were traveling were the roughest, most uncouth and ignorant people that I had ever come in contact with. Perfectly lawless, fighting and quarreling among themselves, using language terrible to hear, they were the champion swearers of the world. They swore at their wives at their horses, at each other, at the wind that blew, at the stones in the road. The air was constantly filled with their curses. 
the women of the company were fitting mates for the men the whole company was made up of outlaws from texas arkansas and southwestern missouri they imagined that they were so strong in numbers that they could whip any band of indians and it was their usual custom whenever the indians approached our camp or sat by our campfires to tease and play various tricks upon them i noticed on different occasions that the indians looked on their maneuvers with a resentful glare and conversed with each other in low muttered tones and i trembled with fear for what they might do in retaliation many times i tried to expostulate with these men but they laughed with scorn saying they were not afraid of any band of indians very soon their bravado was put to the test at the close of one day's long travel we had barely set our camp for the night when a lone frightened pony express rider came galloping in haste into our camp shouting to us that the indians were near and would very soon attack us while he was descending into a little canyon they had suddenly come upon him from their ambush pursued and shot at him several times and only that his horse was fresh and faster had he been able to escape them every minute we were expecting to hear the blood-curdling yells of the approaching foe for the first few moments after the report reached us the men who had hitherto boasted of their fearlessness were palsied with fright however they soon rallied and made hasty preparations to meet and repel the attack it was a night long to be remembered here indeed was a grave and perilous situation overloaded wagons tired horses and oxen defenseless women and children for what power was there in the hands of a few white men against a horde of indians bent on murder and robbery and coming so suddenly on our far-away camp in the wilderness most of whose numbers were defenseless women and children our wagons had been arranged in the usual semicircle enclosing the camp our animals were brought within and picketed as closely as possible the men hurriedly put their guns in order the women held their children closely to their breasts not knowing how soon they would be ruthlessly torn from them and dashed to death or put to torture before their eyes after hours of suspense we began to hope that our fears were groundless but this hope was soon dashed from our minds by the startling cry from another messenger that an attack from the opposite side was momentarily expected every ear was listening for the sound of the fleet feet of their ponies every heart throbbing with anxious fear but every lip was silent at this hour a fearful storm of rain and hail with continued thunder and lightning fell upon us the sharp hail and the continued peals of thunder so frightened our restless stock that there was imminent danger of a stampede the pelting rain flowed into our frail tents wetting our pillows and blankets at any other time this would have been considered a great misfortune now we hardly noticed it while we sat through that terrible night drenched to the skin beaten upon by the gusts of wind and hail deafened by the continuous peals of thunder every moment expecting the attack of the lurking foe the darkness was so complete that we might have been surrounded by hundreds of the demons and yet been none the wiser 
and the uproar of the storm was so loud that hearing was as useless as sight no one slept save the little children the night which seemed interminably long at last passed away and morning showed no enemy in sight my husband and i uttered a fervent prayer of thanksgiving no doubt the fearful storm had caused the attack to be abandoned in the course of a few hours we ventured on our way hoping that we were not to be molested our number of nearly sixty men marched with loaded rifles each side of the wagons to guard the women and children who were huddled closely within the day was long and anxious and nightfall brought us little relief for our next halt was among the charred remains of an express station which had been burnt by the savage foe half our men stood guard while the others slept with their ready guns at hand the now frightened emigrants with whom we were traveling were more civil and subdued in their manner this lasted for a few days but as the fear of an immediate attack from the indians wore away they resumed their usual tactics they quarreled among themselves and were brutal and domineering to their wives never caring for their comfort or well-being the captain of the company was a tyrannical ignorant man who ruled with an iron hand his every effort was to impress all that he was paramount and every one must obey it was he that regulated the length of the day's travel selected the camp formed the corral at night appointed the guards and arbitrated all disputes my hot southern blood soon rebelled at his imperious and despotic rule every day about an hour before camping time he rode with two or three of his henchmen a mile or two ahead of the wagon train and selected our camping place for the night his selections were frequently very unwise and uncomfortable sometimes his choice was a side hill and our beds would slope too much for comfort or a rocky spot by the road when a few rods either side would be smoother or less rugged but whatever the discomforts where he decided there we camped one night i felt it necessary to assert myself and renounce his petty authority we had driven many miles that day over a long rough road and all were tired and hungry when we came to the place where we were to pitch our tents we found that it had been occupied the night before by emigrants who had preceded us from all appearances with a great number of stock within twenty rods of the place selected was a clear grassy spot and just as near the water a number of the women although grumbling at the filth prepared to make their lowly beds while the men hurriedly raised the tents my husband drove his team into the wagon stockade as usual i said to him in an undertone you need not unhitch your oxen in this place i will not camp here he replied if we do not obey the rules of the company we will have to leave it all right i said the sooner the better it will suit me i would rather trust myself to the mercy of the indians than to travel another day with these ruffians and their ignorant captain if you do not drive me to a cleaner place to camp and sleep to-night i will take my blankets and go alone he knew full well that i meant to do as i said so without another word he turned his team and drove to the place i selected 
the other women looking on my daring insubordination with wondering eyes and envious of my cleanly quarters at last plucked up courage to follow my example and with much profanity the camp was moved that night james and i held counsel together and we decided to withdraw from the company feeling that we were safer and more comfortable traveling alone the next morning when the order was given to break camp and all were busy preparing to move onward except ourselves we remained quiet in camp some of the more friendly women offered me their assistance thinking i was not well i thanked them kindly and assured them i was well but felt tired and needed a longer rest and that it was our intention to remain in camp until we were thoroughly rested the men jeered at us and said by nightfall our scalps would hang at the belt of some wild indian we paid but little heed to their remarks finally perceiving that we were indeed going to stay behind the captain gave the command and the big caravan drove on leaving us alone in the wilderness we remained in camp two days giving them an opportunity to get so far ahead that we might never overtake them or see them again alone in the wilderness we felt more secure and far happier than when traveling with this uncongenial band afterwards we heard repeated rumors that they had been attacked and almost annihilated from laramie for some distance we encountered no one save indians it was a barren and desolate region off to our left were the black hills so called because they were covered with a dense growth of pine cedar and hemlock trees which gave them a dark and forbidding appearance further to the south at a distance of thirty miles or more arose laramie peak towering up to a height said to be over six thousand feet the milky streams in the neighborhood of laramie running through the peculiar white clay soil formed numerous buttes and bluffs and by some strange alchemy of nature the most singular formations would crop out here and there like ruined towers castles and battlements over the facades of the numerous cliffs strange forms and faces would stand out in bold relief in a few days after leaving laramie we came to the sweetwater river near which we traveled for a week or ten days and owing to its tortuous course we crossed it many times before leaving it near the south pass i must not forget to mention a famous landmark in the valley of this river and near our road independence rock so named by a party of emigrants who made their camp there on a fourth of july in the earlier emigration of eighteen forty nine and had held a grand patriotic celebration many of their names had been painted on the face of the huge rock but time and long exposure to the elements had nearly obliterated them this rock stood out on an almost level plain and was entirely detached from the mountains near it in this fertile valley of the Sweetwater, the grass was luxuriant and our cattle regained the flesh and loss of strength that befell them on the rocky trails that lamed them so terribly but soon again we struck another sixteen-mile desert and a mountain beyond and after toiling up its long ascent and down into the little park on its further slope we came upon a camp of weary mormon emigrants these recruits of the mormons were mostly swedes and norwegians and were accompanied by several mormons who had been sent to norway and sweden for them 
and who had induced them by alluring promises to take this long and perilous trip. There were young women with them with hand-carts, which they had trundled all the long distance from the Missouri River. They were a most unprepossessing lot, sunburned and weather-beaten and stolid. They were dressed in their old country costume of stout woolen material. They wore heavy striped yarn stockings that barely reached to the knee. Kerchiefs that had once been bright were carelessly knotted under their chins and formed their only head covering, but were no protection for their faces, which were nearly as brown as the Indians, in spite of their original fair complexions. The Mormon missionary never attempted to proselyte among the rich or educated, or even among those in moderate circumstances, but always among the poorest and most ignorant, who had been born in utter misery and who had nothing to lose. These missionaries drew the most glowing pictures to the ignorant of what their lives would be like in the city of the saints, of the independence and ease that awaited them, of the freedom from privations, and of the marvelous profits to be derived from their labors. No wonder the heads of these poor creatures were turned by such proselytizing, and the converts to Mormonism were continually arriving. For several days we traveled along in sight of them, and camped near them at night. It gave me the heartache to see those poor girls take up their burdens every day, load up their hand-carts, and push them over these rugged mountains, stopping at intervals to rest their weary backs and wipe the perspiration from their dripping brows. Our conversation with them was necessarily very limited, as they spoke but little English, and the Mormon men who accompanied the outfit rather discouraged any intimacy with Gentiles. After a few days we passed them on the road and saw them no more. One night, somewhere between Laramie and Green River, we halted at the foot of a mountain over which we had traveled laboriously all day. Early in the afternoon we discovered a spring of water and fairly good grass for our cattle. While it was too soon to make a camp on that long summer day, yet our stock seemed weary and footsore, and we ourselves were willing to take the good thus provided and go no further. While we were pitching our tent and making preparations for camp, a team of mules and several men came in sight. They proved to be French Canadians, who, like ourselves, were bound for California. On reaching our camp, they told us that the tribe of Indians roaming over that region was hostile, and that we were incurring great danger by remaining there alone. They insisted that we join them and go over the next mountain, but we were tired and so were our cattle. Their proposal meant a long, heavy pull, probably until midnight. We had encountered no troubles with the Indians so far. Why should we fear now? We advised them to tarry with us, but no, they were in a mad, wild rush to push on, and bidding us farewell went on their way. Next morning, after a refreshing and good night's rest, we were up bright and early on the road. It took us several hours before we reached the summit of the next mountain, with its remote view of the canyon below. After a while we discovered what in the distance looked like the wagon of the Canadians, but as we came nearer we could discover no sign of life or movement in their camp. No mules were browsing in sight and not a man visible. When we came within hailing distance no one greeted us. We found the wagon rifled of everything. The ground bore traces of a struggle. 
the mules had evidently been stampeded and the men taken prisoners to the camp of the indians to be tortured to death we traced the tracks of the mules and ponies for some distance in an opposite direction to the one we were traveling but as we had met no indians we concluded that discretion was the better part of valor and did not extend our search feeling only too thankful that a merciful providence had been with us had we taken the advice of the men i am afraid we should never have lived to tell the tale after leaving the sweetwater river our road gradually led us to the beginning of the south pass which i imagined to be a narrow difficult winding gorge between towering mountains in this i was happily mistaken and for a few days we travelled over a road as smooth and as hard as a well-kept country thoroughfare on reaching the summit of the south pass one could hardly believe that we were crossing the backbone of the rocky mountains the gradual ascent was not laborious and here we found the dividing line between the atlantic and the pacific for as we traversed several miles of rolling land two low mounds called twin buttes marked the point where all the little streams and rivers flowed toward the pacific i could see but little difference in the taste of the waters the alkali flavor still predominated but in the course of a few days in our gradual descent we struck a springy marsh of fifteen or twenty acres where the ground seemed to shake as we went over it and in the center of this morass we found the so-called pacific springs the water was cold and clear but so obnoxious to the taste that i could not drink it not far from the pacific springs we struck the oregon trail where the road branched off further to the north while our route led us in a more southerly direction we were now out of the south pass and camped one night on the treeless banks of the little sandy river a band of snake indians were in our vicinity and according to my usual custom i prepared for company strange to relate not one of them approached us this alarmed us somewhat because we had been accustomed to have them drop in upon us on all occasions and in this seeming indifference we feared a sinister motive the fear of hostile indians was not our only worry for once again our little hoard of money was running low the numerous ferries over the platte and its tributaries made heavy inroads into our slender purse on one or two occasions it had been replenished by sales of flour and bacon to emigrants who had not laid in so large a store as we but even with that help we were in our last extremity for money food we had in abundance but only coin would pay our way over a formidable stream that must be crossed by ferry and was impossible to ford my husband worried beyond measure at our predicament had fretted himself almost sick i probably owing to my nature of blissful ignorance took a more optimistic view of the situation and urged him not to worry we had been told that it would cost twenty dollars to cross the green river by ferry i fondly hoped that the amount had been exaggerated or that some way would be provided my trust was not in vain for a few days before reaching that stream we were overtaken by a solitary horseman who rode by our wagon side until our noon halt he asked my husband if he could share our noon meal with us and said he would gladly pay for it he was a frenchman by the name of philip we never knew any other name for him 
after dinner he took my husband aside and explained why he was alone in the heart of the continent he had fallen out with the company with which he had been travelling and taking his guns and blankets left them depending for food solely on the wild game he could shoot he begged my husband to board him for a week or two until he reached his destination beyond the green river james felt some qualms about taking in a stranger and came to me for advice at once i replied tell him we will take him for twenty dollars i have often thought since if we had asked a hundred he would have just as gladly have paid it as he seemed well provided with money he proved to be a very kindly gentleman while with us for the few days before reaching his destination and his twenty dollars carried us well along on our journey and tided us over a precarious time for years afterwards when the hour looked darkest and both of us were discouraged i would say don't worry maybe philip will turn up the name was a synonym of good luck for us end of chapter ten and section six